Welcome to Professors Talk Pedagogy, a podcast from the Academy for Teaching and Learning at Baylor University. I'm your host, Christopher Richman. Professors Talk Pedagogy presents discussions with great professors about pedagogy, curriculum, and learning in order to propel the virtuous cycle of teaching. As we frankly and critically investigate our teaching, we open new lines of inquiry. We engage in conversation with colleagues, and we attune to students' experiences, all of which not only improves our teaching, but enriches and motivates ongoing investigation. And so the cycle continues. Today, our guest is Dr. Scott Cunningham, the Ben H. Williams Professor of Economics at Baylor University. Dr. Cunningham studies a number of topics, including mental health care, sex work, abortion, and drug policy. He is the co-editor of the Handbook for the Economics of Prostitution with Oxford University Press and the author of the widely read book Causal Inference, The Mixtape, which after several years is still in Amazon's top 10 books in economics and statistics. On his Substack, Dr. Cunningham has been sharing his adventures with ChatGPT in his work, especially his teaching. We are delighted to have Dr. Cunningham on the show to discuss using artificial intelligence as a pedagogical partner, fostering students' self-love, and much more. Scott Cunningham, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. Well, I wanted to invite you on to the show because I've heard from multiple sources that you do some interesting things in your classes related to AI. So you seem to be more adventurous and open about artificial intelligence in your teaching than I think most instructors are, at least at this point. So can you just kind of open up for us what you do in your classes and maybe like what motivates you or animates you to incorporate AI in your teaching? Yeah. So I'm a professor in the economics department at Baylor and um, been here since 07. My, um, my class, uh, I teach this semester a class called the History of Economic Thought. And uh, I teach another class that's called Issues in Economics, Econ 1305. And um, I, last spring, uh, I was teaching Issues in thir- Issues, Econ 1305. And it was the first semester where I decided that I wanted to do something different with that class. So historically, the way that class is taught, it's a um, class for non-majors, non-econ majors. And um, I think it like satisfies some kind of social science requirement. So it kind of pulls from all over campus outside of the business school. Okay. So the way that people typically teach that class is they're like, they basically take their normal intro econ class and then they just teach it. And so I... Or they'll kind of do the stuff that they like. So I had deci- I had normally they they do it that way for lots of reasons. But I decided, you know, what I want to do is I want to do a class on uh, books. I want to do books to read together. And so I picked four books. Well, middle of the semester, um, ChatGPT four came out. That was probably March, and immediately I could see there was going to be a problem because part of the class was to write an essay yeah for each of the books yeah. and i just kind of felt like the i just immediately could tell we were going to have a problem so all summer nothing really happened but it just got my head thinking i ended up spending all this time on the spending time on a on chat gpt so this summer 
I just started thinking, you know, I've got issues coming up again, issues, uh, Econ 1305. And then I've got this history of economic thought class that I really like. And so I, I had this idea. One of the things I noticed in the spring when chat GPT four came out was it was unusually good at storytelling. That's what everybody kind of knows. But like I had, I had found that it would tell stories really well. So I, I kind of started noticing that you could use it to engage in like fiction and get it to do things that were pretty interesting, like, like tell an entire like dramatized scene. It could get, it could become a person. So that was in my head. So then going into the fall, I had this idea and I actually sat down with chat GPT for, for a solid month. I, I basically had a, this ongoing one window open on chat GPT for where I was just talking to it all the time about this idea of a class. I could feel this class idea inside me and I didn't know how quite to get it out. And the idea was like, it was, it was basically, here was the idea. It was economists have been concerned about machines for a long, long time. So the industrial revolution would be like the first machine age. Yeah. You know, and like it was a huge, huge impactful event in the history of humanity. It led to just profound break from historical levels of poverty that were just like, you know, the levels of poverty humans lived in before the Industrial Revolution was kind of like a very, very, very poor developing country now. Yeah. And then with with these machines, you know, the steam engine and the, the these others, uh, there was huge increases in wealth, huge increases in living standards, but also growth in uh, inequality. So it kind of led to all these things. And in the 20th century, there was this other thing that happened, which was that education became uh, tied up with those technologies. And so some technologies that were continuing to be invented were also affecting prosperity and inequality, primarily through uh, like whether or not you had enough education. Yeah. So I could kind of like see this idea. So I started talking to chat GPT and I was like, look, I, I think that the idea for this class, you know, it's like, a, it's called issues in economics. And in my opinion, artificial intelligence is an issue yeah. in economics. There you go. So it's a big deal. So, uh, so that's one. And, one of the things that AI is going to do is it's probably going to impact what I call the labor markets, the jobs, mm -hmm. the kinds of jobs that kids get, the kinds of jobs that all of us have. And it's probably going to impact it differently depending on what the skills are of the worker. So I kind of like started saying like, you know, I, what I want to do is this class. I want to do the stuff I did in the spring, which was reading books. I don't want to spend all this time in a textbook with these kids. Yeah. They're not econ majors. They're coming over here. I want them to learn enough economics so that we can engage with this issue. That was the that was the thing I was trying to articulate. And what was great about ChatGPT is like when I was designing this class, how it could be so conversational, but it had this perfect memory of the entire conversation. Right. So I could go back and just go, all right, catch me up. Where are we? Summarize this, put it into a document that I could then copy and paste and put over here. And let's just go back to that. And then I could like, Every time I would start over, if I thought there's a good chance it maybe doesn't remember the full story, I'd copy and paste it back in. Yep. We went through like this all like for a solid month. 
and I never spend this. I mean, it's kind of sad. I I never have ever spent this kind of prep before because it was completely inventing a class that did not exist. Yeah. So usually in econ, when you teach a class, it's got a textbook. Right. So you just use the textbook and like, you know, it's like a coherent field. You know, it's like it's, uh, you know, money and banking yep. or it's like labor economics. Or Very well defined. It's well defined. And I was kind of like thinking this is going to be a class on uh, the first and second machine ages. Right. That was kind of what I was like pitching it as like first and second machine ages. And in between this stuff about the returns to skill, yeah. which is like, you know, and how does AI affect job markets through touching upon worker skill. And so, and that was kind of the idea. But the other idea of the class was, I also felt like, you know, these are probably gonna be sophomores. They're not even wanting to be in this class. I mean, I don't have any pretense of believing that anybody that's forced to take an econ class for a prereq of some other major is probably super excited about being in the economics class. I mean, it's not, sure. you know, I love it, but I don't think everybody does. But I I know that these kids are at the beginning of their adult lives and they're, they have dreams and they have aspirations of what they're wanting their life to be about. And, uh, and yet this technology could be coming in yep. as like a real salient kind of shock that could change their labor markets. And so I like what I decided to do was I was like, I want to build a class that simultaneously teaches them enough economics to talk about this AI and history. Yeah. It's like the machines, industrial revolution. You do all those things. You really get into a lot of the stuff that economics is about, which is like prosperity and inequality. Right. It's like, you know, people growing and then not growing at the same. And so we get into like a lot, we get into like five key areas of economics like, and ChatGPT helped me figure it out. And then, um, and then we read the books. ChatGPT helped me figure that out too, came up with assignments. And, uh, but then I also was like, I want to do a big assignment where what we're doing is helping these kids think now about what, what does it mean, you know, there's a career, there's jobs that you get, and you get jobs in order to make money, in order to buy the goods and services that you feel like you need to live the life that you want. Mm -hmm. And it's a difference between a career and a, a set of values. And I wanted them even now to kind of start to realize that, you know, there's things that, you know, God has made each of these kids like really unique. And you can, and they, and if they really reflect on it, if they can really reflect on it, they can kind of see that there's like deeply held values that they have. Things yeah. like courage or things like love and sacrifice or family or whatever. Whatever it is, it's different for every one of these people. Yeah. It's like it's different for me too. And if they don't realize that there's these values that they have, which kind of touches into these elements of like the skills. Yes. So it's like if they don't realize that there's these, these values that they have and that that's different from a job. Uh-huh then they can really make some core mistakes. Yeah. If you get your, if you think that, because the values really are not, they can't be compromised without causing major distress. But yeah. the job, you can quit a job. Doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you love your job. I mean, you, you, you just, it, that one 
humans have to. You can survive. quit a job and you can develop skills. Yeah, but like the core, there's something core. If you've got to go do something where you're no longer, you're at your core, feel like you're a loyal person, and you're not able to figure out what that still means. That's going to be that could be harmful. Yes, yeah. you know, and I think like it. So I I could see a class. ChatGPT helped me figure out the class. Yeah, and so what we're so what we're doing in that class is two things. There's two key AI assignments in the class. First assignment is what I call critique or crit. What I gave them, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, what is it that every professor is terrified of? And it's like some version of what you would just call plagiarism. Yeah. Right? So I was like, well, then I'm just going to have them plagiarize. So what I'm going to do is the assignment is I'm going to I'm going to have it as the assignment here is an article every week. It's a topical newspaper article, so it's not like an it's not like an academic article. I'll say like, here's an article about ChatGPT. It's usually about ChatGPT. I want you to first part of it is copy and paste the article into ChatGPT4. Ask ChatGPT4 to summarize and explain the article. Copy and paste that into a document, which is the thing everybody's afraid that they're right. going to do. So then I go now. Second part of the assignment. Uh, Ask ChatGPT4 to critique the article and provide two sources. Copy and paste that into it, yeah. which is again the thing. So then I just go ahead and get that over with. Yeah. So then the so they do that, they put it in, and then the second thing they have to do, that's like one document, and then the second document is, okay, now read the original and read what ChatGPT did. Score it on a score of one to five of accuracy, how accurate was ChatGPT4? Second, how creative was it? Score it one to five. And then third, what I call the hallucination hallucin, hallucination yeah. score. Find each source and confirm if it's real and appropriate. If it's real and it's appropriate, give it two points. If it's not real, and it's, if it's not real, give it zero. And if it's something in between, give it one. And so the assignment was basically to just get them doing the stuff and then essentially to get them to stand above ChatGPT yeah. and, and like to judge it. Yeah. yeah. To see if it was doing it. And But my, my feeling was you're just never going to be able to teach someone what ChatGPT can do until you just make them do it every week for 14 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And so what ended up happening has been pretty fascinating. And at the end of the semester, I'll have all this data because I'll have all these num numerical scores. The first thing that's happening, students are re regular. First of all, they're just playing with it. I actually think that a lot of the Baylor students, were it, were they not in the – I've been really surprised that they're not more enthusiastically already adopting it. Okay. But they are in my class. Yeah. So, like, you know, everybody in my class, it's like, oh, we, we talk about it all the time. But they – so one of the things that they've said is – um, uh, you know, they're learning how to use it. And then the second thing is, uh, they're noticing that they are getting better at ChatGPT. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think they thought it was just a, like, you know, like a hammer. Yeah. Like an answer machine. Yeah. It was just like, you just plug it in and it would do it. And they didn't really think that it had, that it like, they didn't really think of it as a guitar. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you, know, you give somebody a guitar, they're going to be horrible at it until they learn how to play a guitar, and then they're going to get better at it, and then they might get really good at it. If we were doing this interview in my office, you'd see the guitar in my... <laughs> you see the guitar? Yeah, yeah exactly. 
So uh, we have something to point to. So the so then that's one thing. But then the other thing that's been interesting is they've seen firsthand that it hallucinates, and nothing they do can get it to stop hallucinating. Yeah. Is like so I needed them to see that. I needed them to see that like whatever it is that makes ChatGPT very very good at what it does is exactly what makes it make up. Sources. That's well said. Yeah. I have I have frequently when I talk with faculty and graduate students about. AI. I've said the the word hallucination was actually kind of sold to us along with the the product itself. And yeah. I, and I feel like it gives a little bit too much of a benefit of the doubt. No, it's lying. I like to yeah. say it's not hallucinating because hallucinating is like oh a person is like duped or there's something there's like a disease or some you know some dissociative disorder or something like right. that. No, this thing is programmed to spit out information even. Uh, even and in spite of any kind of truth claims, that's oh, it's, yeah. it's not a it's not like a, you know giving it some kind of like benefit of the doubt that it's oh I'm oh, sorry yeah. that you got that wrong here let me let me fix that no it's gonna keep lying I think it I mean I think it's like the reason it's good at what it does is exactly why it hallucinates yeah I don't know if it can really. I mean, a lot of when you look at what OpenAI and other companies are trying to do to make it stop hallucinating is they do not try to fix the model. They try to force it. They try to put things inside of it that forces it to come up against the fact that it just made something up. Yeah. So, like, they'll do things like they'll stick up. Uh, they'll have it interact with a computer program called Python. Python will spit out an error if it's not correct. Uh-huh. So it'll get an error, and then it'll know, oh, okay, that's what I just did, isn't it correct? And it'll back up and do it again. Okay. So there's things that they seem to be trying to do, but they, I don't know if they can really fix the large language model because that is what it does. Right. So, like, the other thing I did, the other thing I have them doing is this podcast. And the, the, the podcast is the big assignment. It's worth 40% of the grade, but it's, like, five different assignments that lead up to it. Basically, what they have to do is first assignment is called the 20-year plan. And the 20-year plan says, you know, it's like one day you're going to die. So that's like the end of the syllabus. Everybody's on the every, on every syllabus is that you have to die at the end of the. You know, okay. Yeah. As all, we're all going to die. Yeah. So I say, you know, that you're, you're going to die. So let's do your 20-year plan. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be in 20 years? Where do you want to be in 10? Where do you want to be in five? two, one, six months. And I kind of get them to just sort of articulate to me what their plan is. And they turn that in. And then the second one was like this values thing that I, I had chat GPT help me figure out a way to like run them through a set of prompts where they would like articulate what it was their core values were. Okay. Yeah. And then chat GPT took both of those and uh, suggested to them a person to interview a notable figure. So like for me, it, it recommended Desmond Tutu and Brene Brown. Okay. So like, uh, but so the podcast idea is they've got to interview uh, ChatGPT pretending to be that person. Oh, okay. And that's like the big thing. And so to show them that they that it works, I did this interview and I posted it today to my Substack. The um, I interviewed Adam Smith. ChatGPT was pretending to be the first economist, Adam Smith, and it is incredibly i mean it's it's uh it i mean it it feels like a real conversation yeah and um and so you know i'm i'm like building to it of just trying you know this this is a pro this is a project is 
completely might fall on it. But I told him, I was like, you know, the bar's kind of low actually for this class because otherwise I would have just, we would have just had more homework assignments. Yeah. You know, so we're going to do it this way. And this kind of fits with my long-term goal of like, I want you to be thinking about your labor markets plant. I want you to be thinking about how economics is helping you think about how technology could be disrupting these labor markets that you're wanting to go into and thinking about your values and talk to someone who maybe is in this career that you've had. Yeah. So that's kind of what, that's kind of what I've been doing in this class. That's fascinating. There's so many layers to that. What I'm, what I'm really curious about is just how the process of using AI itself as the brainstorming tool, it seems to be yeah. like the, the real nugget of this, that you had kind of a gut feeling about a direction you want to took a, a, a course, but you used ChatGPT to really hammer it out. So yeah. what, what did you learn from that process? I mean, it, you said it took a long time. Yeah, but it took a long time because of how successful it was going. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like, uh, it, I would have never even attempted it. Yeah. It was like, uh, it actually, the, the wheels have not come off of the class. Yeah. You know, and that's usually like my big, anytime I do something ambitious, like I can't quite see the big picture of like how all this is going to hang together in a actual pedagogically impactful class that has learning objectives yeah. that are achievable and that like know how to have assignments that will get to those learning objectives. Yeah. I, I, I have never known how to do it because it's like to be a good teacher requires so many different skills. And I, we never got any of that training in economics about how to design that kind of class. I mean, right. They're usually, you know, in economics, you're, it's like very big on the chalk and talk kind of method. So you're just like, that's it. You yeah. just sort of, and you have textbooks, and you just use the textbooks and you just kind of wing it. And so, you know. You hope the students are f catching on. Exactly. I mean, you just basically are like, you know, you, you, you're you just going to get in there and try to fight with them to hopefully they get excited. Yeah. But um, so what this was, what I learned was that, first of all, you can say anything. It's like you can, you can just you can just go, you can type the open AI chat GPT-4 has a very large window for words. You yeah. can type into the browser a large, large amount of information. Yeah, yeah. So I could just go on and on and yeah, on. Yeah, it's like tens of thousands of words. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, in, in each thing. So what you can just sort of say is like, I, I would just kind of go, look, here's the deal. I, I gotta get in, I, I know I wanna do this class and this is kind of what I have in mind. I don't know how to bring this together and I don't even know what the, what the thesis is yet. I can sort of see two or three parts, but I can't see how they fit together. Right. ChatGPT4 constantly was helping connect the dots on stuff. Yeah. And he was the one, or he, yeah, was the one that I think helped me begin to start to see, like he would do things to connect the dot and then I would go, oh, so you're thinking this might have an economic history part. Oh, yeah. You're thinking I should go back to Britain at 1700s. And then, you know, of course, he didn't think anything. Right. He's not real. Right. <laughs> so We cannot help but anthropomorphize. Yeah. 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 He's just doing the large language model. I feel stuff. like I should refer to it as she to balance your... <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm always with it at yeah, this point I still. <laughs> I, I have to do... His name is Cos... I asked him to name himself, and he named himself Cosmos, and then I... Put, I put in the custom instructions from now on, your name is Cosmos. All right. So that's how we always talk. <laughs> that's, that's a little self-aggrandizing. <laughs> yeah, he, that's right. He, that, that was a lot. So, I mean, I, I just, I just, what I've realized is that you can say whatever. 
Yep. You can go between these like levels of just like pure brainstorming into just nitty gritty. Yeah. And go back and forth and back and forth. There's this, so it's this, it's the way that ChatGPT4 on the designing of the class, it's the way that he's able to remember everything yeah. perfectly and then just politely summarize it. Yep. You know, and constantly bring it back up to your attention and then go, okay, where are we now? Yeah. I've, lo I've lost, yeah. I've lost the thread. Where are we? And then we can go back and then, you know, and then you can, so I would constantly do it and I would say, put all of this into uh, a single giant summary because I'm going to copy and paste it into a Word document because tomorrow I'm going to bring it back. Yeah. And I would just do it all the time. And then, you know, the thing that I thought was fantastic was that in the training data, ChatGPT4 appears to have have trained on pedagogically sophisticated, you know, like, uh, like modern college level appropriate. Yeah theories of education yeah yeah and so things that i know are out there i wish i had the time to learn them i really do i really wish i was a better teacher and to have him there as a partner to help just bring it in and yeah. build the skeleton of the class around it was uh it was just it was huge for a person like me it was huge yeah because i just was never going to learn it you've taken this to a to a whole other level with the brainstorming thing but what I have spoken in a couple of venues about is using ChatGPT as as a lesson planner. Yeah. So you know, just just tell ChatGPT, hey, I got a fifty minute undergraduate course. Yeah. You know, it's freshman level or what? You know, however you want to help help define it, and it really does many of the things that I'm always. You know, I feel like I'm the broken record always saying, okay, well, make sure your learning objectives have clear verb a uh, action verbs in them so you know what you want your students to be able to do. And it just does that just yeah, it does without it. even without You can say it on the front end. You could yeah. say on the front end, this is the pedagogical philosophy that I ascribe to. Yeah. You describe it in detail. You could like use sites and stuff and go, so now going forward, what we're now going to do is this and I need you to adopt it. Yeah. And it'll do it. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that, uh, I teach is an area called causal inference. And so that's like an applied statistics area for, uh, for studying, you know, trying to establish whether or not one thing causes another, the, the, the paper, the, the lessons are very mathematical and, uh, they're very technical and creating the, the slides can take a long time Yeah, because you have to get the equations, right? Well, so who <laughs> doesn't take job GPT long. Yeah. So I can go through and I can be like, all right, today we're going to do this thing on causal force. And uh, um, here's the paper that we're going to do. I'm going to walk you through and I need you to go ahead and have 15 slides about this. It needs to go through this and it'll just populate it. Yeah. It'll put it in a Beamer deck of slides, uh, LaTeX Beamer. And I go, okay, that's great. Slide four though, I need it to be a lot. I need to go into more detail here. That's incorrect. And it's like, it just does for what is the most tedious part yeah. of that job. Part of the job yeah. is absolutely making those slides yeah. Yeah. and getting and But it's like, you have to have them yeah. and it can take you, you. And the thing is before chat GPT, I felt like the designing of the lecture and the designing of the slides were the same task mm. and they're not the same task. Yeah. That's a, Incredible insight, yeah. And so being able to break it off and just go give me the slides and now I can go in and edit. Yeah. I just saved myself hours. Mm -hmm. 
And, and now I'm getting it. So now I'm just kind of realize I'm like, finally, you know, I'm getting into the stuff that I'm actually the good part at. I don't think my good part is making, you know, for, I don't think my part is like getting, making sure the, the figure has the right scale right. next to the left of the three bullets. I, yeah. I'm not good at that. Yeah. You can overdo it. You can spend hours, you know, just right. get it done immediately yeah. and move on. And with this Dolly 3 image generator that goes with it too, I mean, I'm definitely probably spending a lot of time making really, really interesting images that are perfect, perfectly fit what I'm trying to say in class. Yeah. So what have your students said so far uh, about this? What have their, well, I mean, you could take that a couple of ways. What are you seeing in their work? And then what are they just saying to you in class or outside of class this process? Well, I don't know what they think about this kind of touchy-feely in interview, you know, like, you know, it's like the, the athletes in class. When I see who it is, ChatGPT recommended that they interview for their lifetime, you know, for their podcast, it's like Tim Tebow, John McEnroe. Yeah. You know, I have no idea what that's going to, how that's going to yeah. be. That could be a complete disaster. I don't know if these kids are, are like, I mean, I've basically had to ask permission from the kids and just be like, look, is it okay if we just kind of for this semester you just humor me? Yeah, you just humor. We're just, just we're just gonna see if this works. This podcast thing. I mean, it might be a disaster and it may not work, but I really it fits everything I'm trying to do in this class, and I really want you to try. So, I think they're all in on it. I think that uh, the crit assignment I think has been really valuable. I think that has been really valuable. I don't know if in the long run the crit assignment works conceptually. Like, I don't know in five years when chat G when like if artificial intelligence does become pervasive, then I don't really know if in five years, like, okay, this week we're going to do a thing where we have chat GPT summarize a deal and you're going to judge if chat GPT is good at this. I think everybody's kind of going to know at that point. Yeah. Everybody knows that chat GPT hallucinates or that we're not even using chat GPT at that point. It's like doing something different. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know if this assignment works in the long run. But I, I do think in the short run it's working because it's forcing them to recognize what this thing can and can't do. It's forcing them to, to do it repeatedly. Yep. I'm not asking them to read about all the like cautionary tales of ChatGPT. Rather, I'm forcing them to recognize that it's hallucinating. I right. do, it would be way better that they're realizing that in my class, then they go and do it for a history class. And they're pulling up some fake reference that's not real. Yeah. So it's like I wanted them to be at the earliest point to realize it's a feature and a bug that it does this. It's not, and you can't have one without the other. And frankly, I don't know what we're what the right use of this tool is, but it's probably the case that uh, if I wasn't trying to help you prepare for uh, your your graduation and what's coming. Is there's somebody's got to be doing it at Baylor. Yeah. You know, somebody's got to be talking to them about, you know, what these technologies are doing for society and simultaneously teaching them some stuff. Yeah. You had mentioned that you were a little bit surprised that the students weren't more enthusiastic about, about using AI or that maybe they're not using it very much already. So do you get the sense that they're wondering at all about, how AI will impact their future careers or the work that they're planning on doing. I mean, you're you're talking about the the 2010 five year plans too. So yeah, I mean, I 
I, I well, first of all, I think we really just don't even know what yeah. it's going to do. Like I was, ta- I was interviewing a guy for my podcast this morning who's at who works in this area, and and he just was saying right now there's no data. Yeah. So all that we have right now is hypotheses about what it's going to do, and so you've got all these people in econ and non-econ that are making proclamations and predictions about what it's going to do, but literally they've been doing this for a long time. They thought that the internet was going to do certain things that right. did and didn't. Yeah. They thought that earlier kinds of prediction stuff was going to do it, and it did and didn't. It's clear that like the there's never been this level of adoption of something. Yep. So quickly. Yeah. And so many. Yeah. So many. I mean, it's, and it does appear to be coming from ChatGPT four. There's been artificial intelligence for a long, long time. But what this guy told me is that ChatGPT four is causing not just people to use ChatGPT4, it's causing firms to look at all of the AI. Mm-hmm. And they're now, begin- whereas it had always kind of been there, like, and was kind of like, an, like you know, it's like he said, basically, Edison had a patent for the, uh, the light bulb way before it got adopted in these factories. Yeah. And so, you know, that that he was saying, you know, there's there's this thing, but... Right, right now, I think nobody really knows. I th- so it's kind of hard, I think, a little bit to convince kids. It's a little bit like false goods even to swear to them. I know that right, yeah. this is the most important thing that they could be doing. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Which is why the class still has to be like economics. That's the same approach that I've been trying to take too with both my own students and with faculty that I work with is to kind of try to dissuade faculty from you know, you can have a policy, and if you want to take a hardline prohibition kind of policy about AI, that's that's your pedagogical decision, and, yeah. that's, and that's fine. But try not to give the students the impression that you've got it all figured out, like yeah. where all the lines are or where the line between, right. like, more, more morality and immorality or ethical and unethical is here because we are all still figuring it out. And well, that's why I made the assignment. I thought to myself, you know, it's only immoral in the class if it's on the syllabus and says don't do it. Right. That's why I took it off. That's why I said the syllabus will require that you copy and paste this article into ChatGPT and have ChatGPT summarize it. Because yeah. I needed all that stigma to be taken away yep, yep. so that we could just start to figure out what the heck this thing does. Yeah. And I just kind because I just kind of think it's like, it's like if somebody, it, again, it's like the guitar. I'm sure there had to be someone when they first saw the guitar invented, somebody had to go, that looks like the stupidest thing. It's not a piano or what I don't even know. Yeah. You know it's, like, it's like there's got to be things like that yeah. in, in history. And I thought this was one. But like I guess like I was, I've been a li- I don't think the students are hysterically interested in it the way that I am. Yeah. Which could be, you know, that's where I do wonder, well, I wonder what, what is going on out there? But I, but all signs are that firms are adopting AI in large numbers, mm-hmm. in a way that they were not before ChatGPT four. It had a very AI had a very low penetration rate in 2018. About right. six to eight, six to eight percent of firms were doing anything with AI. Nobody knows what it is right now, but it just does not look like it could possibly not be exploding, given what I see on LinkedIn all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just the sheer amount of venture capital going into these firms is just gigantic yeah yeah when we've got uh i don't know if you heard about this but we when we've got a new beatles song 
Oh yeah. That's that's you know now you know no. brings all f- all four of the Fab Four together. From a from somebody's a, made one. From a John Paul McCartney was involved in it. So there's you know they had a John Lennon demo from oh like the gosh. late seventies. And I guess, you know, he and, and Ringo, like, you know, put all the pieces together and Peter Jackson designed some AI to, you know, lift out the piano and the vocals from this, you know, yeah. I mean, early, se- is... late 70s kind of, you know, uh, awful sound quality kind of thing, you know. So, yeah, all so that is to say, there's apparently new... there's a new Beatles song. <laughs> have you heard if it's good? I, I have not heard it yet. <laughs> if it, yeah, that's... That nostalgia for wanting to see to go, uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, that's what was weird with that Adam Smith interview. You know, the Adam Smith interview. I thought to myself, this whole interview is a hallucination. Yeah, this whole interview is 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 a lie. He's not Adam Smith. Uh-huh. But it was kind of weird. I was like, yeah, there's like a th- that's true. He he's not Adam Smith. I've interviewed this robot pretending to be a dead economist from 200 years ago. It's not Adam Smith. That said, though, there are worse versions of of this adam smith that could happen yeah Yeah. and so it's kind of weird like what in this interview that i did with him that he could hallucinate correctly sure yeah yeah you know play a part yeah he plays a part but there's like but that's the weird thing is like this literally is not this person he never he never said these things and he never answered these questions right yeah so what does it mean to be right right that's a very good point yeah uh, Baylor just had uh, was a week or two ago uh, a panel on AI, just kind of you know helping the community just think about this for from a couple of different angles. And yeah. one of the questions in the Q and A after was, it, "Is AI going to take uh, going to take our jobs from uh, from Educators. professor? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think if I remember correctly, especially you know like the like the foundational level you know heavy factoid kind of courses. Uh, do you have thoughts about that? I mean, I, I think like with technology, the the way the economist thinks, this is like the verbiage of the economist, is like um, is uh, there's a thing called a production function, and a production function is a firm takes capital and takes labor and then mixes it together with technology and makes stuff. Yeah. Okay. And so human beings make their own education. They use schools. But, you know, if they you can stick a kid in a school and they don't learn anything. And that's because, you know, it does require a lot of effort on the part of the student. Sure, yeah. So the, the issue is, you know, well, what is this technology going to do to the production of education inside of a human's brain? And I think, you know, and then what is that going to do to the labor inputs that we have historically used to produce that education, which is teachers? And I think the honest answer is that I don't see how anybody could possibly know the answer to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just don't think. I mean, the the, the big lesson is – but here's the big lesson. The big lesson is technology always comes in and helps some people and hurts other people. Yeah. There, There is no longer uh, a horse and buggy industry mm-hmm. that was destroyed yeah. by the automobile, by Henry Ford. There is no longer any typewriters. There's no typewriter repairman, yeah. right? And so it's tragic if you were had skills right. that were only tied to the typewriter industry and could not be ported out at all, or you didn't see it coming, or you were in denial, or there was some kind of discriminatory elements in the in your life that wouldn't allow you yeah. to transition. Yeah. So, but this is the, the the general thing is 
what technology always does is it destroys things while it creates things. Uh-huh. And you just, from a, there's two, two ways that you respond to it. There's a personal level and there's like a society level. The personal level is you just want to make sure that you are not on the, the destruction side yeah. and you're on the creative side. Mm-hmm. And that definitely means learning to play these guitars. Yeah. Learning to make, figure out what the heck they do. And changing your mind if they don't do what you thought that they did. Yeah. You know, so that's one thing is you got to figure out what this is. And, you know, it's it's not, I think everything is like that. Trying your best to tie your skills to the rising part of the market and and trying to get away from the lowering part insofar as that fits the values of what you want your life to be about. Yeah. Is the number one, is that one thing. But then the second thing is the technologies, what they do, and I think this is the lesson of the part of the 20th century, is that these technologies can increase prosperity and they can increase inequality. Right. And and inequality specifically in the dimensions of income. And you can have people who did see their, you know, the wind catches their sail with these technologies because of they're in the right place at the right time or they have the right skills or they got lucky. Yeah. And then there's other people that just literally see their fortunes demolished and trying to figure out what we're going to do as a society in terms of the rules that we're going to use so that those gains to society are distributed in more fair, equal ways. That's a, that's different. You know, that's a different thing. I I think that you have to live, you have to have both, you have to have both kind of, uh, mindsets all the time because if you have a sense of calling that your life is you've got to be do you've you have a sense of calling about what you're supposed to be doing with these 90 years that you have on this planet okay and you've got some strong sense of mission that it comes with it it could be anything it could be raising children it could be you know something uh, giving away all your money it could be whatever whatever that is though um, trying to figure out where those wins are going and making smart judgment yeah. is a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you are thinking about the good society, the fair and good society, where that prosperity doesn't just accumulate at the furthest ends of the right tail of the income distribution, yeah. you know, I, I think that that's, again, part of the reason this class exists. Yeah. You know, part of the reason of the class is about machines and their effect on labor markets, both prosperity and inequality, and trying to figure out what rules that we're going to need in order to hopefully get that gains to be spread more equally is, well, that requires tapping into, you know, things other than economics, things like ethics, and even in a, that that actually requires tapping into far more than just an understanding of large language models. Yeah. That's thinking more deeply about what is what do we owe our neighbor and what do we, what do we owe this... Uh, what, what do we think it's going to mean to harness the resources of this planet in a way that's fair and just? Well, we we can't tell the future, and I don't think education is going to be immune from no. disruption that's AI-related. But I think there is still something that's deeply interpersonal about about education. You know, you look at statistics of, you know, just something as kind of vague but important as like student success and like retention or 
graduation rates and things like that. And, you know, the data is pretty clear. Two of the five factors are interpersonal related. Like a professor took an interest in me, you know, like that kind of thing makes for successful educational outcomes. So it may very well be that there's certain things that can be offloaded, if that's a healthy term, you know, into some AI processes. But when it comes down to, is this student who is struggling going to come back next year or are they going to throw in the towel? Well, a professor who takes an interest in that student is likely to make the difference in that decision. Yeah. So that deep interpersonal stuff, that's just where I see, you know, I take a, I take a very David Brooks kind of approach to, uh-huh. to this, you know, like there's there's going to be things that AI cannot do for us. And, you know, you know, you know, someone looking in your eyes and telling you, you can do this. Let me tell you how we can take the next step, that totally. kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So maybe I'm an optimist. <laughs> I am very much an optimist yeah. on the effect it's going to have on education. Yeah. That I'm, I'm, I feel it is going to have a overwhelmingly positive effect. And I think it's going to be very egalitarian. Yeah. A person who's struggling in the class goes and asks chat GPT for says, I understand a word that happened today. Mm-hmm. And then it just patiently helps yeah, them. Yeah. Just helps them and helps them, helps them. Never gets tired. Yeah. Never gets frustrated. Now what it's gonna do to the demand for tutors, yeah. What it's gonna do for the labor market for tutors, that's a different question. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the disruption But that's the thing is like the purpose of education is not to preserve the labor market for tutors. Yeah. The purpose of education is to increase the the you know, it's to educate these kids. Yep. In a way that's productive and good for them. Yeah. You know? Not they don't serve the labor. They don't serve the educator. Yeah, the educator serves them. Is the way I see it. And so, you know, I see it as use whatever tools you have available to hit these kids. Yeah. So, final question for you: What's on the horizon? You sound you sound like a guy who's you know willing to. I use the word adventurous at the top of our of our conversation. Who's willing to you know try some new things? Is there something else? Is it maybe it's AI related or maybe it's not? Well, uh. I really want, you know, I think probably, I mean, I I wrote a book on causal inference that I published in 2021 that came out of about 10 years of developing one class. Mm. And what I learned from that experience was that the books that, for me, that come out of a class make sense. Wow, yeah. Because I kind of like, you know, they're like, you've mastered the pedagogy of it. Yeah. You kind of know, you've like tried stuff. You've worked really, really hard on certain little things and then they like perfectly fit into a chapter. Sometimes students are really good peer reviewers totally. like, of ideas. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, when you air Something night, doesn't work. Yeah. You know, they're going to, that's the feedback. Yeah. I think I, I want to stick with this issues class. I want, I like the idea of this. I want to fix, I want all of the parts to really be humming. Yeah. You know, so maybe this podcast thing is crazy. Maybe it won't work. I, but, and maybe it's like, you know, I, I think, I've got, I want to build up a coherent class. I would like it to be possibly in 10 years. Maybe there is like a, a book that comes out of this. I've had success with the other one yeah. and I, I'd like to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and so there's that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, that, that's the other than that, it's, I love teaching this history of economic thought class. We, we do the, in the history of economic thought class, I mean, the, the history of economic thought class is like a real blessing to teach. It it was taught from the founding of Baylor. It was taught by Judge Baylor. Oh, yeah. And so it's like usually what happens is like one person teaches it for like 30 years. Yeah. And, you know, Baylor's like one of the oldest or the oldest continuously operated schools in Texas. Yep. 
So it's kind of got all this like aura. Yeah. And so I, what I want to do is just continue to just make that class. Those two classes are like my exciting classes. And I want to continue to just be really good at them. So like what we do in the history of economic thought classes, um, it's very discussions oriented, but I have them interview chat GPT. So they had to, they had to interview chat GPT pretending to be Adam Smith. They had a great experience. They had to do it with Thomas Malthus. They did not have as good of an experience. They did it with David Ricardo for some reason that one does. So it's like, we're kind of like learning a little bit about something is in the training data of chat GPT four. That's like, unevenly yeah. distributed. Yeah, it's I've found it's really hard to make generalizations about um, areas of knowledge. Like I've asked it to write multiple choice questions for oh. me and my field is like uh, is history of Christianity and for some reason it it could not give me good good responses on Martin Luther and baptism. It couldn't. It couldn't. It just I mean maybe I did spend enough time with it. I was on ChatGPT 3 and maybe 4 is, is much better on this, but it just had this blind spot, you know, on on this. So I just like, all right, throw in the towel on that. Let's move to uh the Lord's Supper. <laughs> and it did much better with Martin Luther and the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, a similar kind of thing where it's like maybe with one famous economist it, you know, it really shines, but another one and we don't know. It's a black box, yeah, right? Yeah, cuz like open how, eye is not revealed what the Yeah, how do we is. how do we know what what it read, what it scraped? Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like, uh, um, yeah, it's got, because the whole purpose of it is not to give it the knowledge of the human race. The purpose of the training is to make it mimic intelligent speech. Yeah. Which the only way you can mimic intelligent speech is to have a body of knowledge. But I don't, but that's not the same thing as saying maximize, yeah, yeah. make sure it knows everything. Body knowledge is not the point. The body of knowledge yeah. is not the point. Yeah, exactly. So it's got weird stuff in there. It's got all of the Enron emails. <laughs> so like, there's all kinds of like, there's there's a yeah. few clues of stuff that's out there and it's like you know it heavily trained uh, Wikipedia, PubMed, uh, yeah. uh, but then there's like weird random stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, tons of social media. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, we could talk about this for hours, yeah. but I think we'll stop there for the sake of of time. Thank you so much, Scott Cunningham, for joining the show. Thanks for having me on the show. Our thanks again to Dr. Scott Cunningham for joining the show. In our show notes, you'll find links to Scott's Substack and his book, Causal Inference. If you've enjoyed this or any of our previous conversations, be sure to subscribe so you get every episode, and you can show your support by giving the show a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. Well, that's our show. Join us next time for Professors Talk Pedagogy.